0: Beyond stoked to be talking to Shannon Plummer. Shannon and I, I'll just say, are so on the same page when it comes to health and wellness and particularly when it comes to food, except that Shannon has been specializing in this for a really long time, and she is a transformational health and wellness practitioner. Shannon, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I am so Just as you are so stoked to be here, so um, incredibly grateful to be here too. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And as you and I were discussing, this is such a rich topic that this is part one of a two-part conversation because it is just so important. So obviously, everybody who comes on the show is a highly sensitive, empathic person, and I know you, so I know that that is true for you. I would really love to hear like how has being highly sensitive and empathic affected you and especially how did it lead you to the work that you do with other people around their health and wellness?
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, goes back a long, (laughs) long way actually. And I don't think I really realized how sensitive and empathic I was when I was a young girl. And, um, you know, so I I grew up in a family not so, you know, not recognizing that I was that. I didn't even recognize that in myself, as I said. And uh, about seven, at age 17, I started the process toward an eating disorder. Um, You know, it just started as my friend and I, you know, made a bet who could lose 10 pounds, you know. and um i won the bet <laughs> because i just you know you know i so i started restricting food and it started to feel you know make my body feel better make me feel better about myself you know to the point over the next 5 years that i was 60 pounds and uh in and out of eating disorders clinic you
0: weighed 60 pounds i did i have i have been around people suffering from extreme anorexia and i think the lowest weight i've ever seen anybody was i think 80 Mm -hmm. so it wow
1: yeah i was hospitalized four times you know different kinds of clinics some clinics that you know would make you eat some clinics that had a different philosophy um At the time, two of those uh, stays were in Westbrook, Maine, at their uh, eating disorder clinic. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I controlled my emotions, and my life, and my body, I thought, (laughs) with food. Um, I could no longer put food into my body, um, because it would just make me feel out of control. Mm hmm um and i you know i had to leave college i lost most of my friends and at 22 i was back home living with my parents so you know and really in a place of uh i didn't really care if i died you know i really did not care yeah because it seemed so bleak and so dark And how would I ever put anything into my body again? I did not see a way out. And actually, I remember one time, um, because I lived in Maine at the time, my parents were gone and there was a big snowstorm and we'd been to the doctor. I knew my heart was like tentative. So I went out and purposefully shoveled snow to see if I could just get my body to just, you know, give out. Um, so that's how bad it was for me. It mm. was, um, you know, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least devastating for my life. absolutely. Um, and you know, I'll tell you really what happened. Um, what turned my life around and I still can't really even explain it to this day is I was sitting on the bed, um, at Westbrook hospital on the end of the bed. And I was looking at the window, cause at the time that hospital was a one floor unit. And I thought to myself, how can I get out of here? You know, I just wanted out. And um, at that moment, I just, I heard a voice and the voice said, all you have to do is eat. I know it's not profound and or to anyone else maybe, but it was very clear to me that I heard something. And it was so profound that the next day I got up and I went into the breakfast room where I had not eaten their food before because in that program I would get privileges if I ate. And um, never ate their food before, but that morning I ate my breakfast. And I continued to eat like I was supposed to do to gain privileges and to get myself out of there. And, um, from that point on, not that I never experienced anorexia again, I did. And I'm going to tell them about that in a moment, but I never went, I was never hospitalized again. And But it really taught me at that moment how important food was just to, you know, live. (laughs) And I was at a point where I couldn't do that. I could not. um, I guess you can't really describe it unless you're anorexic, but I could not put food into my body um, and feel okay. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so I kind of regained my health from there and was really started reading all about nutrition. I started reading about Ayurvedic nutrition, like um, all these different, if it had to do with nutrition, I was going to read it and try it too. (laughs) No matter what the diet was, no matter what the, whatever it was, I was going to try it. And so that was sort of the beginning And then through that process, I got really interested in alternative medicine. And so, um, you know, from this small town in Maine, never really traveling outside of Maine, really, to speak of, except to see my granddad in New York, (laughs) um, I decided that um, I was gonna make a big change in my life. And um, I, Gave my notice at my job. I'd sold a brand new car that I had bought, and I moved myself out to Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is where I live now. Um, And it's sort of a mecca for health and healing. And, um, you know, I started, I got here and I was like, well, you know, what am I going to do? There happened to be. A polarity therapy program, which is kind of an energy medicine. Um, so I studied that program for six months. And, um, and then the director of the program offered me a job. So I just decided, okay, I guess Santa Fe is where I'm gonna be for a while. And then a very stressful situation at that point happened in my life. And again, the anorexia reared its ugly head. Mm-hmm. And um, although this time it came with, you know, just um, extreme acne all over my face and my chest and my back. Um, I was extremely tired and I lost, uh, I was probably 80 pounds at that point when I got to my worst then. Um, But then I also had this piece with the acne where um, it was so bad, I didn't wanna leave my house. And so Mm -hmm. literally I would go to work, I'd go home, go to work, (laughs) I'd go home. And so again, um, depression set in and all the stuff that comes with it. And um, from that space, again, I started looking, what else can I learn I didn't need to be hospitalized or anything, but I, I knew what was happening and I could feel myself restricting, restricting, restricting. Um, but even so, I applied for acupuncture school and um, I got myself in that program and started studying, you know, uh, Chinese medicine and was into their whole philosophy of acupuncture and their type of eating, which is a whole nother, um, um aspect of nutrition. And, <clears throat> but even through my entire training there, I didn't get better. Mm. And I still had the acne when I graduated from school. Cause part of that was to try to help myself. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I eventually wanted to help other people, but I thought if I can't help myself, how am I going to help other people? And so even, you know, through that whole, I ended up five years in acupuncture school because I had my daughter halfway through and, um, got out and the pregnancy was and the delivery for an already weakened body was difficult. And, um, so I got out of school, she was two and I started like, um, you know, researching more, you know, trying to, again, help myself. And so, and in school, in terms of Chinese medicine, I was supposed to be eating like a lot of root vegetables, a lot of grains because I was a spleen stomach person and that's what they teach. And so I was doing that and little did I know, you know, just making myself worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And, and so here I am done school, and I'm still sick. <laughs> you know? So I start, you know, um, running some functional labs on myself. And uh, through that process, met a man who introduced me to um, metabolic typing, which is a the form of nutrition that I use now Mm -hmm. and he also kind of expanded my knowledge of um, functional lab testing and Jen within when I realized found my metabolic type it's an online test that you take when I found my metabolic type and started eating that way and my metabolic type requires um, significant fat which I'd never eaten before anorexia was my history, right? Um, Higher purine meats, like those richer meats, like Mm -hmm. red meat and chicken thighs and that kind of thing. And just some starchy, uh, non-starchy vegetables to kind of balance things out. But that's not like a lot of what really balanced me. And um, started eating that way. And I forgot to mention, I was pre-diabetic at that time also. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and within a month, my health changed significantly. The acne started to go away. My, I was no longer tired, which really was blood sugar imbalance all right. the time. <laughs> right, Not enough of what I really needed. And so when I felt that in my body like how bad I had felt for so many years restricting myself and, and all of that. And then really just giving it a try because I had never eaten like this. I'd never eaten more you know, like richer protein and fat and things. Cause that's not how I grew up and um, certainly not what I thought was healthy. Um, so I eat it, started eating that way and my health changed. I mean, immediately after all those years and some of those years was that I physically couldn't eat it, you know, just emotionally, (laughs) couldn't eat it. And I was at a point now where I could, my daughter was a a tremendous healing. um, I don't know, magical piece of my life. I feel like she, because of her, I knew that I needed to take care of myself. And I could no longer do these self-destructive things. So she was a big piece of that. And from that, I was able to follow this, um, this eating plan and just, you know, bring my health back. And so from there, I just felt like I had to tell, <laughs> I had to tell people about it. Because um, when you feel that drastic of a change in your
0: own body, you just want to share it. Absolutely. You know, you said something a little bit back that I was really thinking about as highly sensitive empathic people, I've noticed that there are three ways that we often tend to cope with being as emotional and sensitive as we are. And the first way that I see so many people try to deal with it is through avoidance and elimination and trying to just push the stuff away And it makes total sense that, you know, for anybody who's listening and going, what does anorexia have to do with being highly sensitive and empathic? I actually think that if anybody can understand what it's like to not want to or to feel completely incapable of taking in food, it's an empath who's oversaturated with everything because It's that place where you're so saturated, you're so overloaded, you're so overwhelmed. All that there is is the choice to push back or to remove, to to avoid and to try to stay out of it. And the thing is, when we are when we are in a state of complete distress and and empathic overwhelm it completely makes sense that we're going to shut out, we're going to block all channels. We're not just going to block the negativity. We're going to end up blocking out the nourishment and the nutrition and the positivity as well. And it makes complete sense to me that if you had never been given any coping tools, if nobody had ever, ever even helped you to recognize that you were highly sensitive, then why would you do anything other than attempt to block the stuff that felt like it was too much, you know, and the other two coping mechanisms I've seen are then for some people, it's more the root of self-soothing distraction slash addiction, where it's like just getting so much, you know, basically just having something that will numb you out or distract you from what's going on. And then the other thing I've seen is people will try to suppress their abilities. And Starvation, interestingly, does kind of all three because one, you get to avoid the, you get to really avoid things and protect yourself and push away from the stuff coming in. Two, you get the, um, what well, you get the, you get the high that comes from anorexia because, and interestingly, um, the interview that i did with um recently with anna zambrini we were also talking about basically exercise and eating disorders and just this whole attempt to control but also that glorious high we get from fasting and from calorie restriction you know and like been there done that totally know what it's like to be high after days and days and days of living on fumes And, but then, and then on top of it, it's like by that, by that really cutting off all of the sources of nourishment, you suppress your intuition, you suppress your empathic abilities, you're, you know, I mean, it's like if your system is, if your body and your system is basically just trying to keep your heart beating, you are going to reach a certain point where you're not going to be aware of all of the empathic overwhelm that is just that you are being flooded by so yeah and I think I think um when
1: I look back and I look at the age I was when I started um anorexia you know I was heading toward college and you said something just a minute ago that was right on it's I didn't have the tools to be in the world as an empathic person Mm -hmm. and I think I was terrified of that And so somewhere inside of myself, I thought, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to shut it down Um, and literally became childlike, you know, physically. My parents had to take care of me now, you know, so those tools that we need as highly sensitive and empathic people are so important. Because in order just to feel like you can be in this world and have, you know, and cope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I don't think I had those. I know I didn't have those. And then again, when it came back, again, it was a situation I didn't think I could handle. So my go-to is, yes, you know, shut down. Um, but through yeah. the whole process, it taught me so much about the body's um, capacity to heal and it's desire to heal. And and it can when yeah. given the
0: right things. When given the right things. And, you know, I, I want to take us down the rabbit hole that, you know, <laughs> because you spoke about something that I think is so incredibly, incredibly important to acknowledge. You were talking about, one, you were getting, you're becoming pre, you're pre-diabetic. You were following the, you know, the sort of politically correct, spiritually correct rules of lots of root vegetables, lots of grains, and you were struggling mightily with fatigue, with acne, with just feeling out of sorts and wrong. And it wasn't until you realized that it sounds like you and I have very similar metabolic types, (laughs) because I thrive on a high fat, moderate protein, extremely low carbohydrate diet. And that It's the difference between having energy, between being in pain or not being in pain, all kinds of things, Um, as well as, you know, not having insulin resistance, not being in a place where my moods are swinging up and down from blood sugar. But I know for myself that I really had to come to terms with the fact that especially in the spiritual communities, especially in you know, a number of places in the empath world, there is a lot of pressure to be a vegetarian. There is a lot of pressure to not eat anything with a face on it. And, um, and even a lot of moral superiority that comes at you. And I know for me, um, I mean, my journey with vegetarianism started with a mother who, you know, God bless her and her food issues. I didn't realize that it was, very weird for somebody to hide sh- hide candy under lock and key until I was an adult. Like my mom would literally buy stashes and hide it from everybody else. And when we moved her, my parents out of their apartment into the assisted living facility memory unit, um, we found over uh, 20 pound bags of candy in her apartment just squirreled away and hidden everywhere. So I come from... I come from a sugar addict and I come from somebody with some food issues and um, you know, but, but, and one of the things I just remember when she first started, you know, playing with vegetarianism, I was really young when I started getting the, hearing the, hearing the, for lack of a better word, propaganda around why it's so superior. So I know I have, have had a lot of experiences with it, and I imagine you have also had a lot of experiences with it. And as a highly sensitive, empathic person, you know, I mean, I've even heard people say things as, as like, as, as just, you know, just ridiculous and rigid as you can't possibly be an empath and eat meat. Mm-hmm. So yes, let's go there. Shall we? We shall.
1: <laughs> So you know what I uh, have to say about that, and and I guess at the time when I first discovered the nutritional approach that I use, is um, that I I needed to save myself, you know, yeah. and I was willing to do anything. I now had a daughter, and you know I this came from a very respected person that I admired. And as I said earlier, my type came back as someone who needs fat meat significantly. So, you know, with no real other choice, I tried it. <laughs> and, you know, when you feel the difference in your own body, it was like night and day for me. For me, it was it was. Tired, pre-diabetic, acne riddled with a young child versus the reversal of pre-diabetes, mm. the reversal of fatigue, the reversal of acne. A lot of my acne was due to blood sugar. Mm. People don't really think about that, but it's, it's a piece of the picture and so when those things all healed for myself with a total 180 with my diet and eating meat, um, it was a no brainer to me. It's like, this is incredible. And um, and I, I can't negate that and I can't negate what I see in my clients. and And so... I'm in total support of even as empaths, you know, we, we in particular actually need to really maintain our physical self because our physical self relates to our emotional self. And when you don't feel well, physically, you don't feel well, emotionally, we are one we're holistic beings. And I use this one tool in the work that I do. I call it the body-mind food log. Mm. And what I have my clients do is they eat a meal. And an hour later, they're filling out this body-mind food log. And the intention of it is for them to feel the difference that food makes. Because food should make you feel well. No matter what is going on, you could be really, really exhausted, you know, anything. If you eat, the food should, if it's proper for you, it should make you feel better. Um, So through that body-mind food log, people start to get a sense for themselves, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how, what a difference I feel eating meat in the morning. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of that to start off our day eating animal protein in the morning. It's super great for the adrenal glands, kind of balances your energy for the day. Um, And sometimes they need to feel it in their own body. Like maybe they don't trust me yet. And I want that for them. I want them to know. Yes. Um, So I come across people to, you know, Santa Fe is a pretty, um, you know, spiritual place as well. A lot of people who choose to be vegetarian or vegan. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, for me and for what I practice, you know, the health of the physical, the physical and emotional health of people, I just don't see it. Um, I
0: don't see it as working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you and I were before we got on on air. Um, I was commenting about how I mean, you. I've done the raw vegan diet. I've done, I've. I like you. I've experimented with a million different diets, and it has taken me, you know. And I, in my case, it was I was, I was absolutely tanking. Um, you know, about I don't know, probably like thirteen or so years ago, I was hitting a wall despite the fact that I'd been eating a raw vegan diet, despite all of these things, my health was starting to decline. I was, I was, I had developed um, insulin resistance. I had antibodies um, that were indicative that I was heading towards diabetes. And I just, I was struggling with brain fog. I was dealing with joint pain. I was bloated. I was uncomfortable. And, um, at the time I had sort of deviated away from the raw vegan diet, but I was still, my diet was not dialed in and I prayed for guidance. I prayed for guidance. I just was like, I need guidance. I need help. And within 24 hours of the prayers for guidance, I came across gaps and, you know, I discovered the gut and psychology diet which for me is the, it's the baseline. It's always coming back to gaps. And that was when my whole life changed when I was, because what, because what I've noticed is I think one of the reasons why a vegan, a radical vegan diet works initially for so many people is that they go from eating a standard American diet and they eliminate the processed foods they eliminate the whites the white flowers, the starchy the, you know the starches they shift over to something where they are doing a cleansing diet, and you cannot help but feel better but the thing I always wonder with all of these studies that are saying things like that meat causes heart disease or all of this stuff is. Until you eliminate sugar from somebody's diet and you eliminate complex carbohydrates from somebody's diet or, you know, like, or large, large, you know, carb, substantial carbohydrate consumption, I don't believe you can possibly evaluate whether or not the issue is that somebody's eating beef or whether it's because somebody's consuming carbohydrates and nobody's looking at that. So, that's at least my personal theory is one of the reasons why people feel so good when they make the transition to a vegetarian diet is that it's not necessarily about the fact that it's vegetarian as much as it's about the fact that they've eliminated processed food.
1: Yeah. And I, I see this too in, in uh, you know, when, when veganism or vegetarian is adopted, like they'll feel good for a certain period of time. Yep. And then the body will start to break down. And it's almost like they don't get why, oh, I used to feel good. And now it's like the body can't, you know, sustain that. Mm -hmm. Particularly from my viewpoint, I'm going to tell you a story about the three bears, because this kind of speaks to um, metabolic typing is that, you know, we have the polar bear, right? And the polar bear lives up in the Antarctic and, Eats blubber, fat fish, not much vegeta- vegetation around. Then we have the panda bear, who lives in the jungle, you know, munches on plants and berries and bugs and things. And then you have the brown bear that kind of does a little bit of both. And the three bears are kind of the the population on on the spectrum of what. Individual people need and nutrition is very individual. It's not like we hear about it like everybody should be vegetarian or everybody should be keto or everybody should be paleo. It just doesn't work that way. No, it does not. And we need to figure once we figure that out, it's almost like not to indoctrinate yourself into any sort of um, specific dietary approach until you really like you try it on your body and you dial it in and you determine, wow, this, I feel well eating this way. Um, So it's really to find out for each person what's right for them. And um, even on the spectrum of metabolic typing, I always recommend some flesh protein because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. nothing is better at balancing blood sugar, at grounding the body, those of us that are highly highly sensitive and empathic, like even our emotions, you know, to ground that in to help us to be more focused and more clear
0: Um, really goes such a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know, you know, I'm on the same page as you are in the sense that for me, it was a matter of survival, that it was a matter of um, I could not continue to throw my body under the bus and serve the planet, that it was like I could, sure, I could eat a vegetarian diet and I would literally be in pain and debilitated and exhausted. And I just had to admit that any kind of, because the bottom line is, at least from my perspective, there's no such thing as a low carbohydrate vegetarian diet. There's, There's just no being able to do that. And what I discovered was consistently if I ate and if i if i go over something like you know honestly like if i go over about 50, like like 30 grams of carbs on a daily basis and you know i can get away with fiber but when we're talking about comp, you know gross car, you know net carbs if i go over 30 grams of net carbs a day i start to experience pain brain fog fatigue you know all kinds of things just my system starts to break down very quickly And I had to make the decision that my own survival was as important as the idea of not eating animals. And, you know, and yet, and part of it is that for me, it's funny, I have exactly the same I have a, I have a, in the book Empathic Mastery, there's actually a track your triggers diary, Mm -hmm. which is almost exactly the same thing where it's like, we're looking at the correlations between when this, then this. And, you know, and so I know that I've been able to really, like even earlier today, I was having a problem with a phlegmy voice as I was recording a Facebook live. And I sort of scanned myself and I was like, that's because you use butter in your bulletproof coffee instead of ghee and the milk solids basically kind of like rose up and got in my throat for a while. Um, you know, but, but I know people, um, I know people, people who are devoted to a vegetarian diet and where the idea of eating meat is so repugnant to them that they can't even imagine it. Um, what do you say to that? What do you say to them? Like, well, um, it's it's a tougher conversation,
1: I have to say, yeah. um, because if it's a spiritual um, reason, you know, and that's usually what it is, if they really just cannot even imagine it, um, but I just help them to see, like their own body, because they're usually pretty sick yeah you know and that you know to sort of do it in support of themselves even if it's just a little bit at a time you know it doesn't have to be a stake (laughs) you know at first Mm -hmm. you can start with things that are you know a little more palatable for them and you know support you know they need someone to talk to about that kind of stuff because I I get that I get not being able to, um, put food in my body. (laughs) And, um, so I feel like I have, I'm not, you know, just speaking from no personal knowledge. It might not be specific to that, but I get how it feels when you really can't put food into your body. And I think it's just helping them to little by little add it in and using like, you know, a tool like you have or I have to feel a sense of well-being. like just a little bit of meat at first can go a long way just in terms of, cause when you're, you balance your blood sugar, your emotions become, you know, more steady, your physical being become, you have energy again. It almost takes that to, for them to feel it in their own body. But you, they, there has to be a willingness, like you said, Jen, like to save yourself because, and, and, and have it not just be this thing that, you know, like whatever the belief is, why it's like, are you going to hold on to that belief in spite of your own life, the one life that you get? Right, um, right. You know, but there has to be, there has to be a little bit of willingness, a little bit of openness there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know, you know, when I first started eating meat after being on a, uh, after being on a vegetarian and primarily raw, you know, raw vegan diet, and then I had added a little bit of fish into my diet because my body was just begging for it. But I remember when I introduced red meat back into my diet, I cried. You know, I felt like I had failed. I felt like I was not doing, you know, that I was not following along with like the divine plan. And it was, and you know, the thing is for me, it's humbling that my body requires something that goes against what spiritually like looks groovy. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is for myself I eat meat with humility and I eat meat with gratitude. And I do believe that a little bit of meat goes a very long way. And that, that it, that at least for me, inviting or encouraging meat eating is not an opportunity to go out and eat like, you know, steaks the size of your head every single night Mm -hmm. that I think our culture has a very disproportionate relationship to the quantities and you know, there's, there's, there's a spectrum of you could go and eat at McDonald's every single day or go to Outback Steakhouse and eat a steak the size of your head, or be really mindful of grass fed local, you know, small farm production, you know, places, and, you know, limiting the quantity and really increasing the quality, I think makes a very huge difference. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I would, I would echo that in that, and I'm glad you brought it up. It's like, as you said, recommending meat in a conscious way. You know, I mean, I I like to support the farmers here. Yeah. You know that uh, raise their animals and work really hard, and and that you know makes me feel good. And because I, you know, just the piece of I want to speak to what you said again about spiritual being spiritual means that we don't eat meat. And I'd like to rethink what we consider as spiritual Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: because we're, you know, we're here on the planet and we're supposed to, you know, live the life that we're supposed to live and create what we're supposed to create. A lot of the reason that I do the work that I do is because I want people to feel really good in their bodies so they can go out and create whatever they're meant to create in their life. And the fact is that some of us need that animal protein to feel that you know, sense of energy and well-being. And so spirituality, I think, is living in a way that we bring our gifts to the world and we feel well in our body. And it's not about you know, the total... Um, playing into how, you know, the, the world um, meat industry, but in a very conscious way, if we need that in our life to do it in a way that is um, supportive of our community and our body.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh, and I think, I mean, for myself, one of the things that, that this choice has to do with too, is the acknowledgement of the cycles of life that we all live, we all die. And that this planet is a place where there are predators and there is prey. And I also have such a personal relationship with the spirits of plants that personally, I know I'm taking a life, whether I'm taking it, whether I'm eating an animal or I'm eating a plant. And my connection to plants is as rich and as Strong and as interconnected with a plant as it is with an animal, and I will just say that um, I think it was Michael Pollan who talks about, you know, um, it talks about, you know, just kind of like the concepts of, of, of the cost of factory farming and the cost of, the cost of monocropping and. You know, the fact that we are still robbing animals of their habitat when we are eating, you know, when we're consuming plants that are monocropped. And what I'm always struck by is that what's wrong is the pattern, is the system, and the way we're farming. It's not necessarily whether it's meat or vegetables, it's that we have just dis- our factory farming system is 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 ruining the planet and honestly shifting to a vegetarian diet is not going to address the fact that we now have um a dearth from you know one coast to the other through the breadbasket of the united states because we know you know it's like the pollinators are starving for these long periods of time And there are these areas where it used to be a rich, you know, this rich ecosystem that is now just completely devoted to corn or soy or wheat. Mm -hmm. And vegetarianism is not going to address this. It's not going to make it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a
1: global problem, Yeah, you know, and, and because I have, as of late, you can imagine, you know, my clients that I, you know, have, um, that they're more of my type, your type that need, um, more meat, more fat. Um, they're like, you know, I think I want to go vegetarian and I, I, just, I tell them, you know, I don't recommend it because, you know, their health will suffer for it. And I kind of said the same thing. I'm so glad you brought it up. It's like to you know, this is a global problem, but when it comes down to each individual, if we make choices in regard to meat, and I love what you said about the plants too, into, uh, in regard to meat and to plants where we are consciously eating. I mean, that's something that, that needs to be talked about too. Like, like anything you put into your body was grown on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so to have as human beings, because we need these things to live, <laughs> to have gratitude, say our prayers before we eat, bless our food, uh, shop in a conscious way, eat in a conscious way. And you could say that about meat, about plants, about anything, but just to have a consciousness of, yes, we need to consume food to live. And whatever the food is it if it's plants or meat, these are living things, um, but we can't take on the responsibility, and that's you know such an empathic thing to do, right? Exactly, <laughs> re- responsibility of
0: the world to our own detriment, exactly. Exactly, yeah. There is a you know, I don't know, it to me, it's like as long as I'm embodied, as long as I'm in a human body and I am alive there is a certain kind of checks and balances and a certain just willingness to accept that to be embodied means that things things give their life in order that i can live mm-hmm. and there is the mindfulness of you know for myself the mindfulness of the carbon footprint how far did this piece of food have to travel to get to my plate because if i'm eating fruit out of season well, not that I eat fruit because it sends my blood sugar to hell. But, um, you know, if I'm eating a vegetable or a fruit that's out of season and is coming from Australia, then I am contributing substantially to a carbon footprint that is greater than if I am eating seasonally and locally. And You know, mindfulness too of even things like almonds, for example, you know, almond milk, all these vegans who are drinking almond milk in their coffee every single day or their tea or whatever, hate to break it to you. But the almond industry is one of the biggest causes for the absolute problems with our pollinators and our honeybees. Because we no longer, bees are no longer being kept in Individual, you know, in hives, in 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 small farm environments, what we are doing is we are taking stationary creatures. We are putting them in boxes on trucks. We are schlepping them across the country and taking them from one heart, one, um, you know, like like uh, nectar nectar harvesting pollinating event to the next. And these bees are being schlepped from California back across to the East Coast. And that is, you know, so we are doing something completely out of sorts. And when it comes to the almonds, the only time that there's any food for any of the wild pollinators or anything is when the almonds are in bloom. And then the rest of the year, there's nothing available for any living creatures there. So I'm like, yeah, okay, knock yourself out, drink your almond milk, but I, you know, but, but don't pretend that you're being morally superior when you're contributing to the collapse of an entire species and our pollinators are are basically we desperately need them to, you know 30% of our food is coming from food that's been pollinated by pollinators so i mean obviously this is a profoundly passionate topic of mine and i've done a lot of research on it and i've also looked at you know the shades of gray that what I see is when people start talking about meat eating as the better or not meat eating, vegetarianism is somehow morally superior. Part of me is like, if you dig deep enough, you're going to see that even if you don't eat animals, you still make a great deal of impact on the planet. And are you mindfully, how mindful are, are we about the choices we're making?
1: Yeah, yeah, you, de- you can't be so linear about it. Like this is, you know, it's like it's so, and again, you know, such a big problem, you know, because of the industrialization of our world, really, it's like hard to escape. So, you know, to, you know, you use the word mindfully to look at everything you're eating, and, you know, have it come from your own backyard, You know, there's farmers around co-ops and where the food is grown right here and lessen your, your carbon imprint and, you know, make those choices in support of yourself. And, and to demonize meat, I think is, is just missing the whole, the whole picture. It's, it's like looking at one little piece of an entire big picture and just to look at what we're doing every day where we're grocery shopping, you know, what companies we're supporting, you know, that kind of thing. It's just it's such a much
0: bigger issue than just don't eat meat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you got you've got people who are eating who are vegan but eating Oreos or, you know, yes. going and buying Nestle's chocolate and you know, it's like it's just not that simple. And I, I really, it's funny, we've, we've actually gone through this entire um, mm-hmm. hour of the show talking about this, which thank God we're coming back for a second round because there's just, this is so incredibly important and rich, but I love, I really want to hold out something you said earlier that I think is so incredibly important for all of us to remember, which is that your mileage may vary you know, that each one of us, there's no such thing as the perfect diet for anybody that, you know, ironically, it sounds like you and I have very similar needs in terms of our diet. Although I've found that I do best with just fat in, you know, sort of, although, no, I take that back. Actually, I have, I have um, a collagen protein powder in my coffee in the morning. So I basically do the same thing you do, you know? and you and I have bodies that function or or benefit from a very similar diet. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every listener who's here is going to benefit from that. And so, uh, so much of it is about being able to truly identify what works for our body and have the self love and the self value to be able to give ourselves what nourishes us, as opposed to causes us harm. Absolutely.
1: Like to become discerning. And, you know, what I, I call this kind of what you're talking about, you mentioned it earlier, this, you know, sort of like, I call it the food fog, you know, when people are just sort of eating whatever, and they have an ache here and a pain there and, a, you know, um, gurgly stomach there, you know, you can't really tell what is affecting what and so it's really important. And that's why when I when I type people, and I kind of it sort of pushes away all the noise to help them, you know, dial in what is right for them. And I always say, you know, if, if you don't feel better, don't, you know, it's not, I don't want them necessarily to trust me, I want them to feel it in their own body. And so but once I type them, and we sort of Clear out all the foods that are not contributing to their health and they all of a sudden they're come out of the food fog. They can really tell what makes them feel better and what makes them feel worse. And that's where the magic happens because they need to feel it in their own body. And then it's not me any longer saying that this is right. This is wrong. It's them self-regulating you know that's where we build our health is when we know those things and and in my work i'm just an educator i just i I consider myself an educator more than anything Mm -hmm, to help mm -hmm. people to be in their
0: body we've not been taught (laughs) right no
1: and it's we, amazing that we haven't.
0: Right, right. We have not been taught to be in our bodies. If anything, we've been taught to avoid our bodies and to run mm-hmm. away. So Shannon, we're coming to the top of the hour. And um and thankfully we've got another show that's gonna be happening next, you know, in two weeks that people can listen to where we're gonna go into. I'm kind of thinking I'd love to talk about, you know, some of the physiology and gut brain connection and you know, some of the reasons why <laughs> these things are so important. Um, and who knows what else is going to come out of the conversation, but how do people get in touch with you? How do people, if they if especially like metabolic typing or getting some support and guidance would be good for them, how do they reach you?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the best way is to go to my website. It's Shannon C And there's a contact me heading on my page and send me a message and I'll come right to my email and, um, you know, I'll just I'll get back to you. And we'll set up, you know, I work with people all over the, the country and the world. And so you mm-hmm. set up a call, um, see if, uh, see what, you know, your needs are. And if I feel like I can um, be of assistance, so um, that would be the best way.
0: Awesome. So shannoncplumber.com. Well, we are now at the top of the hour. So as we come to the end of this week's episode, please pass along this show to other people, to friends and family who will find this information helpful and could use some support around their own food and all of this you know, and their physical well-being and health. Also, I'd love to hear what's going on for you as a highly sensitive empathic person. So please send any questions or tapping requests to questions at Empathic Mastery Show. And while you're at it, go visit empathicmasteryshow.com to download your copy of the Empathic Sensitivity Guide. And then in two weeks, join me and Shannon again on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. Pacific for the next Empathic Mastery Show. So until next time, peace out.